New York Times bestselling author and KingCast favorite guest, I might add, Stephen Graham Jones is back with Don't Fear the Reaper, the heart-pounding sequel to My Heart is a Chainsaw. Don't Fear the Reaper kicks off on December 12th, 2019. When Jade Daniels returns to her hometown, the rural lake city of Proofrock, the same day as a convicted indigenous serial killer, Dark Mill South escapes into town to complete his revenge killings. Now, you won't find a more hardcore 80s slasher film fan than Miss Jade Daniels, but can she use her encyclopedic horror movie knowledge to survive when death knocks at her door yet again? Perfect for fans of true crime podcasts and horror films and the novel to read this spooky season. Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham Jones is out now and available wherever books are sold. Very well done, Eric, and all in one take. Love it. That's why they call him One Take Vespi. Yes? Yeah, totally not edited uh, that one <laughs> at all. Didn't fumble my way through that read. Not not one bit. It's all good. I got. Uh, I, we have one more mention here uh, of our benevolent overlords at Fangoria, and then we'll, we'll be getting on with the show. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com now to learn more and to subscribe, and while you're there, Make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your annual subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. This week's guest is uh, a first-timer on the show and has brought us a title that we have uh, never talked about in the main feed, <laughs> believe it or not. We... Um, we talked about this one a little bit when when it first came out on the Patreon, and then, um, well, Eric and I didn't actually finish it at that time. Mm. So th- this this episode has given us all the excuse we needed to loop back around and finish off uh, what turned out to be one of the great King adaptations. <laughs> uh-huh. What the fuck we were thinking <laughs> uh, the first time around? But this week's guest is the co-owner of the monthly horror fiction subscription company Nightworms and the Bram Stoker Awards-nominated co-editor of Human Monsters, a horror anthology. He's also the author of 101 horror books to read before you're murdered, and someone we've been meaning to invite on the show for quite some time now. Luckily for us, she accepted, and what's more, she's, as I mentioned before, brought along a title that we have never discussed in the main feed, Stephen King's 2006 novel, Lisey's Story, which was adapted for television in 2021 by Pablo Lorraine and King himself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Ms. Sadie Hartman. Sadie, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, and I'm excited to be your first Lisey Story guest. I know. I'm <laughs> For as important as this book is to King, and it's obvious why it's, it's so important to him, I think, it's wild that no one... No one has ever picked this title to come on the show with. Right. That's weird. It's definitely in like my top 10 and it has sat in my top 10 since I read it in the early 2000s. Did you say 
2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been one of my favorites since then. Um, and it is underrated. I know that every time I put it in my top 10, people always bitch at me about it. It's a, it's kind of a divisive book, I think. Before we get to the Lisey story stuff, though, I, I wanted to ask you about this, Sadie. Stephen King follows you on Twitter. Mm. I, I'm curious what your reaction was when that happened. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm just going to lay it bare because yeah. this is... I'm going to go deep in the feels for this. Um, <laughs> it was after COVID, like the quarantine part of it. So uh-huh. we kind of got this green light. Like we could go visit our family. Um, we could say hi to our loved ones again. It was the first time I had seen my parents. I live in Washington. They live in my hometown of California, in California. Um, so I made the trip out to go see them. And we were being very insular. We weren't going out. We weren't doing anything. We were just staying at my mom and dad's. And I was in bed with my mom. Like we were, she, we had just woken up. I came and got in her bed. Um, my dad was in the kitchen cooking breakfast for us. We could have like a breakfast in bed type of thing. And we were, I don't know, she was like re- looking at the news on her little iPad. And I was dicking around on on Twitter and then I said, oh, oh, every time I'm here, I need to like take an updated uh, shot of your bookshelves. So I ran out in the living room and I took a photo. My mom is an, as a constant reader and a, an avid Stephen King fan. So she mm-hmm. was obsessed with him. Um, and I took a photo, brought it back into the bedroom, posted it, you know, stock my parents' shelves, check it out, whatever I said. Um, and then I put my phone down and we were eating breakfast. And then I... <laughs> I picked it back up and I it I saw it that he had followed me. I was like, oh, this is just one of those like shitty fake accounts, you know? <laughs> so I clicked on it and it wasn't. And I immediately burst into tears. And my mom's like, what happened? What happened? Did someone die? <laughs> I was like, I'm dying. Like Stephen King just followed me. And she's like, what? What? Um, so we freaked out my dad came in because he heard us freaking out we were both crying and laughing at the same time and i told him that stephen king was following me and my dad he's so weird like the first thing he wanted to do was to see how many other people he was following you know is that just, like, <laughs> yeah. minimizing it <laughs> did you just follow everyone is that like a qualifier so, he, he has the Obama account. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it literally was like me, Obama, and, you know, some other like famous celebrity. And my dad's like, Jesus, like he follows like 130 people. Like that's uh-huh. it. I, yeah. It was a moment. <laughs> yeah. That's, I I had a similar thing once when um, uh, I'm, I'm a very big Nine Inch Nails fan and Trent Reznor followed me on Twitter. Oh like, God. Like, some years yeah. ago. He's not on there anymore because of Elon, but. Um, I, w- I was in a bubble bath reading like a gentleman <laughs> and had my phone sitting like next to me, you know, on the floor and I hear it go, bzz, you know, and I looked down and it was like, Trent Reznor is following you. Oh and my God. I was like, uh, like, uh, I, I know, I know what you mean by like burst into tears because yeah. it's like this flood of emotion. Right. Yeah. And, um, 
uh, and then I was like dry heaving. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was like so nervous. And then I promptly did not tweet for like six hours because I was scared <laughs> to fucking do anything that we might see. I feel um, that. Vespi, have you, who's your, who, who's, have you had someone follow you that had this effect on you? Before? Not that effect. I've had random famous people fought like Ryan Reynolds followed me, mm-hmm. but yeah. never once interacted with me. Right. right. It's like he's never liked a tweet. He's never retweeted anything. He's never like I tried to get like, hey, maybe this means he's a, a secret fan of my online work or something. Like I tried to get him on the show, like through DMs, like, hey, maybe, you know, this is the uh, like nothing, not not a single peep. Um, so and to this day, Ryan Reynolds still follows me, but I have no idea, you know, why. No, the, the closest that I came to having that that reaction and, he, you know, King doesn't follow me, but like. You know, whenever he came on the show and then he like was retweeting, you know, people's reactions to him being Mm -hmm. on the show, like I got that same kind of like giddy, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And when he when we did our our live show in Bangor and uh, and he was roasting. Yeah, he took the piss out of me, man. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I was just like, this is fucking like, how is this, you know, our life? Yeah, that was that was incredibly funny. Um, Yeah, it's weird. It's weird that you can be on like a social network with. You know, you're you might respond to people that are famous or, you know, you're following them, certainly, you know, the people you're a fan of. But like, it's weird how that can like just galvanize you just just to be like acknowledged or, you know, much less followed by by some of these people. It's it's weird to have that power, I think. Right. Yeah. Making and he, people throw up and cry. <laughs> well, I mean, he's my hero like, right. of all the celebrities of all time. Stephen King is the one for me. Um, And it's weird to know that he sees me. Like I had this weird, like he wish, you know, and we interact, like he doesn't ignore me. Like we definitely like interact. Yeah. And there was one tweet where he said my name. It was pretty recently. I think it was my birthday. Um, And I, I stared at it for the longest time. and had this really weird meta (laughs) moment where I was like I pictured him sitting in his living room in like his pajamas like <laughs> reading at me and it threw me like I was just like oh, fuck this guy's, I've been reading this guy's book since I was 13 and he's like fucking talking to me like <laughs> yeah it's surreal I I, it was weird really weird yeah. um but you uh you you've mentioned you're uh you know a diehard king fan which is you know why i've been meaning to ask you on the show you know i that was that was apparent from you 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 frequently pop up in our mentions on on the king cast like as somebody who's frequently tweeting about king stuff and people will be showing it to us or or whatever um there's a a question we ask everyone that comes on the show i imagine you'll have a good answer for this which is uh what is your stephen king origin story yeah so my mom I mean, I when I was younger, I read a lot of dark books. Like I read John Belair's, um, you yes. know, all of his books with the Edward Gorey. Yeah, comedy. I liked everything. Bin- binicula or how binocular, or however you want to say, it. it's the rabbit that's like a blood sucking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there was binicula too. The celery stalks at midnight. And I'm yeah. well familiar with the uh, binicula ubra. Yes, and so I was too old for like goosebumps. Uh, that all of that. Mm-hmm. stuff came out later so my mom you know ha- has all this horror 
in her library. And one time I just decided that I was going to read one um, and I wasn't going to tell her about it. And so I went through Stephen King's books and I was looking at all the covers and Salem's Lot looked like the most not scary. Um, it it has like a, it was the, the, you know, original. So it's just says Salem's Lot and it has like a little city inside of the O. Like a, a oh, right. Town. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, this looks pretty benign. Like I'll, I'll read this. Um, and I took it off to my room and then I read it at night and I was fine for a long while. I mean, it was definitely an adult book because there was lots of stuff I probably shouldn't have been reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it got to the part where um, the boy is like going to attack the other boy, I forget mm-hmm. the Glick kid. The Glick boys. Yeah. 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 And he's coming to the room and, you know, mm-hmm. telling him he wants to play with him. And there's this line where he's saying that he's trying to smile, but it was like an upside down grimace. And I kind of threw the book on the ground and I grabbed up all of my blankets and I went into my sister's room. Like they're, they're significantly younger than me. And I made a little bed in between their beds just so I could hear them breathing and it could like bring me back to this world. <laughs> like, I was like, oh shit, that's scary. Um, but then that that was it for me. Like I ditched all of my young kid books and just dot, mm. like just dove into his back catalog from there. Well, so. as a as a collector of uh, original hardbacks of uh, Stephen King stuff, that story uh, frightens and terrifies me that you treated an original <laughs> first printing so so uh, haphazardly. But uh, I do appreciate that. It, you know, you got to make sacrifices, like little sacrifices like that is why you ultimately end up followed by Stephen King on Twitter. So yeah. if you hadn't done that, you know, that your life would have turned out uh, very differently. So very different. Yeah. My mom definitely <clears throat> encouraged me when she found out that I was reading uh, all of his books. She was like, oh, help yourself. Read them yeah. all. W- was your dad a-, a King reader? So my dad is a King reader now. But when we were kids, you know, he's a self-employed contractor he's a a landscape architect and he was busy all the time so he didn't have a lot of time for reading but he's you know semi-retired now and it's so fun because I kind of get to relive all of King's work vicariously through him for the first time you know he gets so excited like he went through the Dark Tower series and we got to talk about that and it was it's just been so great like he he is a brand new king fan at his age and i love it so much so that's awesome yeah that's so that's so rad i would love to be able to do something like that with my dad i can't imagine him sitting down and reading a stephen king book like he's not a horror guy he's not he he has book like his favorite movie is like lawrence of arabia and most of the books i see him reading are like world war ii books and shit oh, yeah. you know i can't imagine i can't imagine him sitting down with the dark tower but uh, what i wouldn't give to have that conversation mm. yeah yeah that's really cool it's 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 kind of a, an interesting thread and i don't know what the answer is but like so many of the origin stories that we get from our guests involve their mother reading king and having king around that's how that's my origin story my mom read stephen king that's how i read you know her ratty falling apart, you know, dust jacket, you know, barely hanging on, uh, you know, original copy of the stand, you know, it's like, 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I don't know what it is about, you know, it seems like, you know, if you're a certain generation, you discovered King through your mom and, and hardly ever your dad. Kate Siegel is the only one I can think of who's been on the show that said her dad was super into King. And that's how that's true. How, how they bonded. predominantly moms. Yeah. Moms love Stephen King. That's, well, no, I'm a mom, that, that's so. a T-shirt. <laughs> mom moms love Stephen, love Stephen King. King. How, how old is your uh, kid? Um, so I have all adult children. My, our baby just turned 18. Um, and then we have two adult kids, uh, 26 and 24. None of them read, um, which is really annoying. (laughs) Uh, they do anything or just books. They read graphic novels and my son wants to be a comic book artist. Mm, So, I mean, which Stephen King commented on my son's art one time. Oh my God. Um, So that was yeah that was something um but yeah it's just like you can't make readers you know like you can try i i read books i didn't read stephen king books but i read kit you know kids books and stuff to them when they were small and really took them to the library everything my mom did with me um but it just didn't stick um Mm. And you and I, I'm you know I'm sad, but I think sometimes people are late bloomers too, like my dad. Could be, right? Um, you know, so maybe later. Maybe right on. I, I I'm I'm trying. I wonder if I would have turned done the same thing if uh, I was growing up now versus when I was growing up because yeah. I turned to books a lot out of like there's nothing else to do. You know, it's like I no. I, I, I was a movie kid. I loved watching movies, you know. But at the at that point, this is pre way 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 pre Netflix, and you you know, you were you lucky if you had cable, and and then you didn't have any control yeah. of what was on. Like, or if you went to Blockbuster, you'd be lucky if you could afford to rent three or four, you know, releases or whatever. You know, it's like uh, my options were very limited. So I think I turned to books, you know. A, a lot as a boredom counter and you know that's a problem that kids these days certainly don't have you know mm-hmm. there's that's true you know between tiktok and youtube and yeah you know uh, all the streaming services you know maybe you know i don't know maybe i would have ended up the same the same way and never kind of fallen into my my nerdery the way that i did yeah, yeah. having Gosh. phones and internet and all that right. you know, th- th- <laughs> this might be at the root of the media literacy problem that we're having <laughs> Could be. No one's reading anything except tweets and you know shit like headlines that. and yeah, yeah. I don't know, but um. So you brought us you brought us a title that we, as we mentioned in the uh, in the opening that no one's no one's uh, requested on this show before, uh, and that is Lisey's story. Uh, for anyone who hasn't read this, would um, would you be willing to lay out the the general plot of this book? And you don't need to go, you know, beat by beat scene by scene, you know, but what, what is this book about? Yeah. So Lisey's story, you know, I I thought it was something special from the minute I took the dust jacket off. Um, it has something else going on entirely that we haven't seen before from King, um, on the outside and also on the inside, like it's, I would say like a psycho psychological, uh, horror, but it has a lot of romance. It, it, Mm -hmm. it, it takes a really intimate look at a marriage, um, like a really close up look at a marriage and also family. Cause I think, um, Lisey's sisters are really involved in this plot as well. Right. Um, it's very female centered, uh, which isn't a surprise. I mean, King does do that a lot. Like his first book is, you know, female centered. Um, and it's the story of a couple. So Scott Landon, um, is a writer 
and he's very much King-like. Uh, he's pr- a prolific writer. He has, you know, a massive fan base uh, and has a huge back catalog. And he's married to this woman named Lisi. And um, the story kind of goes dual timeline uh, where there's a present day narrative where Lisi is, it's like two years after um, Scott, which is, this is not a spoiler, is dead. Um, <laughs> so Scott Landon, the author, has died in a really kind of, you know, horrific way. Um, and now Lisi is kind of going through um, his office and with his, her sister and just like, you know, gathering details and doing all this emotional labor that was hard for her in the beginning. And during the course of this time, um, we're also going back in time through Lisey's memories as she is, you know, going through all this paraphernalia and she's having memories of their marriage. Um, and so we're going back and forth like that with, you know, the past and the, and the present day, um, and also relational issues that she's having with one of her sisters who is having a mental breakdown. Right. Um, she has like a really emotionally fragile sister and also simultaneously because King has like layers and layers to <laughs> the story, um, <clears throat> he's being harassed by this professor who wants access to some stories that haven't been published, mm-hmm. um, s- some unpublished manuscripts from Scott Landon. And it turns, um, it, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to get like too deep out into the weeds, but he's working with another, like kind of a more obsessive fan. And this professor and this obsessive fan are hounding Lisi to get these manuscripts. Um, and it seems as though Scott Landon, who is also mentally fragile, has this other world that he can go to where he gets his stories, but also where he goes as kind of like an emotional escape from things that happened in his childhood. Um, And she is kind of visiting this place in order to deal with the stress of what's going on in the present Mm -hmm. day. Right. That's not too confusing. (laughs) (laughs) No, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you did a great job. Um, I, I, I think you're, you know, you're right. Where the first thing that you grabbed onto was the, you know, the, this is Stephen King's marriage story, right? This is. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard him talk about this book in particular, kind of talking about how he was inspired to write it by the relationship, not just that he has with Tabitha, uh, but also the relationship he and Tabby have with her sisters. And so th- that's that's something that I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into. Uh, you know, some of the, the crazier aspects of the story. But I think that that might be where the real heart of it is um, on the page is like it, you have Lisi as a character, but she's not defined by her her marriage to a famous author. Like he puts just as much emphasis on her relationship with her sisters and how she needs them. And part of this is a rescue story of rescuing one of her sisters who are, is just, you know, is gone. But but uh, she might have a way to get to her, you know, um, and by gone, I mean, gone mentally, you know, so yeah. it's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, like, it, it's, it, like you said, it's a very layered story. It's a very meaty story. You know, there's, there's also angles that King takes on this one where he's kind of pulling out the obsessive number one fan angle again, which, uh, 
you know, which which is always interesting. This character here, Dooley, uh, kind of makes Annie Wilkes, you know, look like fucking Captain Kangaroo. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's like this. This is like he's really going for it here. I, you know, but I, I don't know. Like, just as a as somebody who's read a ton of King, like I, I, I don't know. Maybe you guys felt this, but I had to feel like a little self examination. Like I'm not that guy, am I? Like when I'm reading reading his stuff, because I love King, I collect King, I have bookshelves full of King stuff. And then when you see like his shrines to to Scott Landon, and I'm just like, is this a little bit me? Or me? Is he making me kind of look at myself a little bit right now? Yeah, you're not putting any dead animals in mailboxes, so I think <laughs> yeah. you're safe. I mean, not yet. Being. Yeah. I <laughs> um, it's yeah. I I I think that King examining toxic fandom is always always interesting. You know, and this is a guy who, you know, has has seen the worst of that, you know, like yeah. um, his home was broken into. Well, mm-hmm. I, I thought about this, this story a lot, like while while revisiting this title, mm-hmm. that, you know, um, the, the King household was broken into. I guess uh, there was like a guy in the attic or something oh. and he was waiting for King to come home and um. I think he may have had a gun or maybe a knife. The details are kind of vague to me right now. I, I probably should have pulled this up <laughs> before I, you know, started running at the mouth about it. But long and short of this was that the King was not at home, but Tabitha was. And she got one look at the guy and like bolted next door, called the cops. Guy gets arrested. You know, she like, bam, took decisive action. And like, you know, I, I think that based on, Based on everything we've learned about Tabitha just while doing this show, um, I think that she shares with Lisi this this steel backbone. Mm. You know, that's that's the impression I get whenever I uh, have seen uh, or, or heard Tabitha talking or, you know, when you when you see how Lisi responds to the various like challenges, to, to put it mildly, that that she faces over the course of this this um, this story. There's a lot of. There's a lot of King in Scott Landon, but I think there's just as much, if not more, uh, Tabitha in in uh, Lisey. Do you do you think that's probably the case, Sadie? I mean, yeah, I do think that. I I do think you know he has written a lot of uh, books and stories featuring a writer as the main protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the most I think I've seen uh, that resembles king to me um even it you know and king wrote the screenplay for the apple tv production mm-hmm. so what you know the director when they're scanning uh scott landon's bookshelf with all of his work on it the the spines even have a king look to them mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so it just felt like he infused a lot of mm, you know, experience into this story. And it was kind of lost on me the first time I read this book. But on other readings, I have picked up on the sense that what this book could really tell us, like, especially in today's culture, like right now kind of culture, is that, and King has said this multiple times, that like, there is a secret language and a and a kind of like, protectiveness that he has over his marriage that he has with Tabitha, like where mm. a marriage is sort of private. There's like a front, sometimes in you know, like a relationship where there's a front facing person 
um, kind of like in a celebrity situation and then someone who maybe is in like more of a backseat role, like Mm -hmm. they could also have like a really, you know, prolific career, you know, obviously Tabitha is a a awesome, you know, bestselling writer herself, but, um, in a situation where you have someone who's a little bit more front facing or is online versus like a couple who one person's online, one person's offline, like there's a part of this um, marriage that needs to be protected and not shared with other people because mm-hmm. I feel like the danger is what happens with Jim Dooley in this situation right. where they feel like they have more stake on the person than the marriage right. does. Like there's so many times where he attacks and the professor does too. So not just the crazy guy, but even the professor like attacks the wife being like, you're just the person he, you know, sleeps next to. We are the fans. Like he did this for us. He lives for us. Mm. And there's this possessiveness where it's almost like if you give into that too much, yeah, the wife has no position. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. right. the fans just feel like they own this person and there's nothing sacred between this husband and a wife that the fans aren't a part of. The secret language stuff in the book and the series, because they port that over to the adaptation. Yep. Fully King, embraced. King ported yeah. it over, not they, but yeah. How do I put this? When I think about Lisey's story, that's the first thing I think of yeah. is this idea of a secret language. And, you know, um, I was married for uh, about 10 years and uh, I've also been in a few long term relationships with with a lady where I was we were living together. And that that shit is on the money. Like mm-hmm. you absolutely develop that sort of shorthand, these these like code words, these this way of communicating that would seem to like leave out everyone else. Like no one knows what the fuck you're talking about. It is truly a secret language. And yeah. and I, I think it's fascinating to sort of, you know, he hasn't built a story around that, but it's a major element in it. You know, mm-hmm. all the all these terms, booyah moon, bull hunts, you know, um, Words are failing me, but <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is this is something I think is almost universal for anyone who's mm-hmm. in a, a long-term relationship, either currently or ever been in one. They know that this this phenomenon exists, and we never talk about it. Like, no one ever right. talks about that shit. And, and so I think it's really interesting for him to have, like, foregrounded it um, in such a personal story. Right. And what I'm curious about is... Are any of the terms that uh, Scott and Lisi have between one another are, are are those terms that that King and Tab uh, Tabitha share? And I think that sounds like a leap, but you got to remember, like I've seen Stephen King use the word "booyah" a million times in different books. Like Eddie says it in the Dark Tower. Um, I think it pops up in. Uh, What's it called? Uh, Bag of bones. You know, there was like a, there was a while there where he 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 liked that expression, and to see it popping up again here as booyah moon. I suspect that booyah is a word that King and uh, uh, Tabitha say <laughs> to each other a lot. I just spent a lot of time setting that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're you're probably not too far off. Uh, on Fan that, theory. like the the only thing that that gives me any sort of pause of going, yeah, for sure, that's what happens, 
is that undercurrent that Sadie's already pointed out in in the story where there's he's very protective of of uh the marriage and keeping those marriage secrets so so there's a piece of me that goes well of course because that's you know the beauty of king's writing is he always brings in all these elements that he's thinking of you know in the moment that's like right on the top of his his you know his mind and he just rolls with it he doesn't try to to think around it or whatever it's like he just like no this is what i'm into right now so i'll talk about pepsi or i'll talk about you know uh covid if you want to talk about like uh Mm -hmm. if you're looking at uh holly you know i'm I'm almost done with that finally um you know but you can tell that like he's just unashamed about uh uh diving into what's right right on you know the top of his mind so so on that level you're probably not wrong but there's something in the back of my mind that goes is trying to tell me that like this is probably close to his secret language with, with Tabitha, but he would never put that in a book that that would still be his own thing that he shares, you know, with the family. That'd be my guess, but you know, I don't know. I think it kind of develops a secret language among like constant readers too, like as a family, right? Um, like these weird words, you know, like baby love. I think Scott calls Lisey baby love Mm -hmm. and it's written on the, you know, on the cover uh, under the dust jacket. Um, It just feels like a secret language for us. And some of these words were actually, they made me feel like really uncomfortable. Like um, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but blood bull, Uh I I hated it. Every time I saw it on the page, I was like, (laughs) what the fuck is that? And it's going to be horrible. I know it. It's going to be horrible. It's like the dark speech of Mordor or something. It's like, oh, those, those letters, those going together, don't don't uh, have a pleasant feeling off of no. Uh, off it, the and it just and and the what else does he say? The dad says bad gunky, like yeah, right. And I'm <laughs> yeah. just like, this is going to be so wrong. And the show did a good job too because the show has like episode headers that tell you what's coming. Mm-hmm. And my husband would laugh at me because I would see the title for the next episode. And I'd be like, Oh no, this is going <laughs> to be the one. This is the one. And he's like, what? And I'm like, this is going to be the, the can opener scene, or this is going to be the scene where he tells the story about what happened to his brother. Like, right. I can't handle this shit. I cannot handle it. So there was like a few episodes where, you know, my husband was like scared going into it. Just like, Oh, Sadie, what is this going to be? <laughs> yeah. like, You're freaked out. And so now I'm freaked out. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. Like this book is very dark. Like for people who think it's just King's love story, like what? No, this <laughs> I have three scenes like over the canon of like everything that he's ever written. I have three mm. scenes that I've never forgiven him for. Ooh, I want to hear these scenes. <laughs> yes. One I can't talk about is the one that's in the dark tower because we, we don't want to do spoilers, but there's one in the dark tower. I will never forgive him for. Um, is it a character death? Yes. And does it involve a tree or does it involve a shooting? It involves a kicking. A kicking, yeah. Okay, okay. yes. Okay. Do you, do you know? Yeah, I got you. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I won't forgive him for that. Um, <laughs> I will if not. If it's what I think about, and I'll, I'll we'll say this off uh, uh, off air, but if it's the one I'm thinking about, there's a line that happens 
after the actual thing that really got me, but I'll, I'll bring that up after we're, we're okay. off. We don't want to spoil it for any of, uh, no. like, li- listen, this is, we talked about this before we started recording. Like we're, we're totally cool. We're going to spoil the fuck out of Lisey's story. So yes. be prepared for that, but we are very protective of the final dark tower. Book, yes. Uh, yes. Here, so, uh, but go on, please. Okay. So I will not forgive him for that. I will not forgive him for baseball boy. in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. I think I even tweeted at Stephen King. This is before he followed me, and and I just didn't care. I like got on social media, and I was like, I hate you for this. Like, <laughs> how dare you? Like the a baseball boy. I still remember like hot tears sliding off the mm. left side of my face. What? And I just kind of was like, I let my hand just kind of like drop off the side of the bed. Like I no. <laughs> That was so bad. I hated that scene. Um, And I hate the scene in this book. I read, I made myself read it to prepare for this so I could get hot about it again. Um, (laughs) The fact that, you know, Jim Dooley comes into Lisey's house. This is the guy who's, you know, trying to get this manuscript, feels like it's owed to him, takes her upstairs, tells her you're going to need a correcting because I told you you had this deadline of when this was supposed to happen, when you're supposed to give it to me. You haven't. I'm going to correct you. You know something bad is coming, but you don't know how bad. Like the last paragraph of, of it's like, it's like on page 252, if you want to turn there right now. Um, <laughs> he does to her some things that like screwed me up in my thought life for a really long time. My thought life. <laughs> <laughs> like, piano working, like, no. And he rips open her shirt. So, like, just use your imagination. It's just as bad as it sounds. Yeah. I have I have one of these scenes too. Mm-hmm. Um you you I, I thought you might name it, but you didn't. Um and it's from it. It's mm-hmm. not the scene you think I'm gonna say. Okay. Um <laughs> it, but it's the the puppy in the refrigerator. Oh in the, god. In the fucking junkyard and it <sighs> um the first I read it when I was, you know, entirely too young to be reading it. I'm probably 11 or 12 at this time, oh. I'm guessing. Um, and I remember reading. I, I, I used to read in the guest room in my parents' house. I don't know why, but I would I would lay in on the in the bed in there and and just for hours and hours and pour through books. And when I got to that part in it, it was the first thing uh i'd ever read and maybe you know this hasn't happened very often since but it stopped me dead in my dead in my fucking tracks and i put the book down and walked away from it and i didn't come back for a couple of days yeah like it fucked me up big time i think even my memory might not be so sharp on this but i think the dog is a cocker spaniel in in it and we had a cocker spaniel Mm. (laughs) i was growing up i had a cocker spaniel at that time and just there was something about the abject cruelty of it, the idea mm-hmm. that that anyone could do that. And I was so young. It's like, you know, when you're that age, when you encounter stuff like that, it's it's kind of world shattering because it's never occurred to you that a thing like that could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why would somebody do that? And um, yeah, that really fucked me up. Mm-hmm. And, and to this day, like I've, I've reread it like probably three times right yeah every time i get to that scene i just skip over it it's, it's just i can't do it man it's 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 too gnarly yeah. too mean-spirited 
horror is just not kind to animals or kids. No, no. and especially Stephen King. He loves kill. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember my wife at one point pointing out, uh, ex-wife pointing out that um, she's like, "Man, he really likes to kill the dog, doesn't he?" Oh, and I was like, I got like you know kind of defensive about it. it was like well he doesn't always kill the dog and then i started thinking about it i'm like yeah he's killed a lot of dogs <laughs> dog death. yeah i know it really sucks like it it does it really hurts and then you know king is the one who's trained me to read with like a mom's heart you know like i i became a mother at a really young age mm. um i've been married for 27 years uh and i'm only 47 so you know do the math Um, and it's just like when you have this mom heart that lives outside of your body because you have three kids and anything could happen at any time, it's so hard to read scenes like in Lisey's story, you know, Scott Landon's talking about, you know, his dad was a mentally unable to raise kids by himself and is, Mm -hmm. um, and does horrible, horrible, horrible things to his boys. And it's really hard to read you know it's and same with it and same with the talisman and same with every Uh child protagonist that goes through hell yeah Um, it's hard i was sitting here racking my brains because i i'm like am i just you know weird because that that stuff just makes me like the books more like the those kind of scenes those like puppy in the fridge you like that (laughs) uh i wouldn't say i like it but it's just like it, it makes the the thing the story feel dangerous and i don't know what to expect from it right well so that's i'm fair. trying to think i'm trying to think of like like the ending of revival or like like how dare you but i'm like that's why i fucking love it uh but then i then i stumbled across the one and the one that uh, affected me in much the same way that that uh uh puppy in the fridge uh, sequence from it affected you scott because mm-hmm. uh, i read it at an age where i absolutely shouldn't have read it and that is there's a rape scene in the library policeman yes that uh, i read when i was uh, like 10 or 11 years old uh, so i'm about the age of the kid getting raped in this thing right? uh, it not is, a laugh riot that story that one not so much so that's the one where i'm like god damn stephen king what the fuck are you doing to me so that 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 is that is my my, my list is one right now uh, but i'd have to think about it so puppies in the fridge fine library policeman no bueno Welcome to the mid-roll ad read, everybody. We have a special word from one of our sponsors. So without any further ado, here's a word about Mr. Rich Chismar's Becoming the Boogeyman. In the summer of 1988, the terrified residents of a small Maryland town were held hostage by a madman. Soon a rumor began to spread that the evil stalking local teens was not entirely human. The newspapers and police called him the Boogeyman. On Halloween night, the phantom killer claimed his fourth and final victim and left her body posed in a nearby cemetery. And then he disappeared without a trace. Now, almost 35 years later, the killings have begun again. The Boogeyman is back. Stephen King calls Richard Chismar's Becoming the Boogeyman a worthy and frightening sequel to Chasing the Boogeyman. Terrific storytelling. You won't be disappointed. Look for Becoming the Boogeyman in bookstores everywhere on October 10, if you dare. Very nice. And uh, I also need to tell you about another of our show's sponsors this week, and that is the podcast The White Vault. Journey into the Arctic with an international rescue and repair team sent to locate the source of a mysterious signal trapped in the white wastes. 
The team makes a miraculous discovery, but also finds that they might not be alone. What horrors lurk beneath the ice? If you enjoy The Thing or Alien, movies like that, The White Vault makes you feel like you're actually with the team as they march through the sunless Arctic snowscape. Polar bears and all. They've even got uh, polar bear sounds in their show. Did you know that, Bespy? No, I'm jealous. What a high-tech... Uh step up from from the I know, nonsense right? that we do yeah also the the show features actual audio from endangered species like polar bears andean condors and more that you won't hear anywhere else and um here's another thing that i i really like about this show the main story has already been concluded so you can now hear all of the collected records for free without having to wait on any new releases a sequel series is planned to release in october 2023 but we're not quite there yet the White Vault has won countless awards, over 30 Audioverse awards, in addition to a Webby Award and three Webby honorees for best music and sound design. Find The White Vault wherever you listen to podcasts or find out more about the show at thewhitevault.com. Subscribe now and delve into the waiting horrors. Very well done, Mr. Wampler. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's time to get back into our Lisey story conversation with Miss Sadie Hartman. What do you think? Let's do it. We haven't even touched on the adaptation yet. Yeah. Sadie, tell us, what do you think of the adaptation? I love the adaptation so much. Like, it had King's fingerprints all over it. Like, there's so many adaptations where it just really deviates from the intimacy of the book experience. Um, Like, I don't, I mean, there are people who read a hell of a lot of books every year because I, you know, then they'll say that they speed read. I'm one of those people that reads every word. Like I read every word. And so it's a very intimate experience. And there's a lot of comprehension. There's a lot of remembering details. There's a lot of going through this thing and then coming out the other side of it. And then you go into an adaptation where everything has been visualized and you have characters that you didn't quite imagine that way, portraying these characters that are really you know, flesh and blood to you in your mind. And this adaptation with Clive Owen and Juliana Moore, they were perfect for me. Mm. Um, I think Jim Dooley stole the scene every time he was on. That's played mm-hmm. by Dane. I don't remember his Dahan. name. Dahan. Dahan. Yeah. Jesus. I have loved that guy since the moment I saw him. I don't <laughs> remember what movie it was. It, um, Chronicle. Chronicle. Yes. Chronicle is where he yeah popped up and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah. yeah, he plays, he he's just in this book, the way that King writes that, you know, Jim Dooley has bright eyes, that he's gangly, that he's awkward. Like he is the embodiment of this character, yeah. just dangerously, freakishly scary um, in like a quiet, menacing way. Like We're not talking about, you know, Pennywise or whatever, or some supernatural being. We're talking about like a human that is just unnerving to his core. Um, And cruel and just off-putting and just the way he carries himself. And we've, we've all known that, that person or seen that person where there, there's, there's that, that kind of person that's just off and you know that they're off, you know, maybe it's, you know, not their fault. Maybe they're, you know, they're not always going to be the, this level of, uh, uh, scary, but but it's recognizable. It's very human, and uh, and I think you're right that that's what makes Jim Dooley really creepy 
here uh outside of Dane DeHaan's performance in the in the adaptation but it's it's something that you recognize you know we've all seen seen that person before yeah and he was just um you know it was you unexpected you weren't really sure like what he was capable of and so people who read the book like that was spot on for me just that that you know you just didn't know what what to expect from him um and then uh, Clive Owen and it was was perfect, I thought, because he's really not a central character in the book. He's dead, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so this is really a story about Lisi and her sisters who kind of get through this grief and tragedy with her and alongside her. And I thought Jennifer Jason. Wait, was it Jennifer? It's Jennifer yeah. Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Joan Allen as Amanda. And you know, I have two sisters, and we love each other and when we spend time together we have you know a really good time but we also have arguments you know and stemming from you know way long ago like talk about a secret language like sisters have a secret language as well um and so i thought the king really brought that to life with those relationships like do you remember that scene where the sisters were like standing on a cliff and they were screaming and yelling Uh yeah I yeah, love the screamer, that kill that mother. We're gonna kill that motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I thought that that was so good. I thought the sisterly relationship was really well done. Um, well, and I do like that they're not they're not portrayed as like okay now they're all they just all turn into Ellen Ripley. It's like they're <laughs> right. not really handled to you know or they're they're not equipped to handle you know somebody as as dangerous as as Jim Dooley, but they're they're there they're you know and they're not shown as handling it particularly. <laughs> well, things go wrong with their their plan to uh, entrap. Yeah, well, they're uh, normal Jim. people, you know. They're not yeah. like you know. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. They're not yeah. superheroes. Yeah, yeah, and it was just. Um, I mean, I thought the set was beautiful. I thought Bu- Booyah Moon was. You know, I, I wanted to take screenshots, like mm. but, you know, I, we weren't watching it on my laptop, but I wanted to go back and just like screenshot so much of like when the moon was there and the that weird the long boy or whatever that yeah yeah oh long that, boy that was, yes i mean yeah, that i was didn't more have I, I didn't have a really great image in my mind from from reading that i remember Same. but uh but watching the the series and i think it's it's worth uh interjecting in here that both scott and i started watching the series when it debuted and we were like really excited about it and we both got i think what two episodes two or three yeah, and, and yeah, we, and I didn't I'm mention not, this when she picked <laughs> picked the story, but yeah, go ahead. We got like two or three, and I'm saying this like individually. Like I'm watching it at my house. Scott's watching it at his house. I think we're both assuming that the others just gonna you know watch the whole thing because I think we had planned that we were gonna like do weekly like you know reviews of the episodes or some some shit. We like we were planning this. We both stopped like two or three episodes in, not because we didn't like it, uh, but we both confessed to each other later. So this is just really fucking it's a bummer you know yeah. it's like it was just real rough and i think that uh, at least i don't think we, we've talked about this god but at least for me i knew that the the big uh torture scene with the uh, uh lisi and in uh, dooley yeah. was coming up and that and that kind of just stopped me there. there was yeah there was something i i, I went back and tried to um triangulate like what was going on at that time when this yeah. came out, I looked up the date. It's it's like summer of 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still in, you know, quarantine territory there. I, I think yeah. things are a 
loosened up a little bit, but I remember watching the show and thinking, um, I'm not in the right headspace for this. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's too melancholy. It's too brutal. It's too, there wasn't enough. It's in, this sounds insane, but there wasn't any levity to it. Of course, there's no levity to it, but like there was nothing to sort of balance it out. And it felt, it felt overwhelming in a way. And, and it had, it's now turned out now that I've, started over from the beginning and watched it all the way through it. It's absolutely, you know, whatever headspace we were in at that time, because this is one of the best King adaptations. Yeah. I mean, it is yeah. fucking phenomenal for, yeah. for every reason that uh, Sadie just said. And, you know, a, a, a couple of things I want to, a couple of points I, I, I want to make uh, just reiterating some of what she said. And also, mm. you know, uh, things I noticed like, um, Dane DeHaan is an actor that I'm kind of hit or miss on, depending on what he's in. I, I feel like he can sometimes be miscast. He's perfectly cast here. Uh, legitimately intimidating, which is uh, not a word I would usually use to describe Dane DeHaan. He's he's kind of a a smaller, scrawny kind of guy. Mm. Like he's he's got this coiled menace to him, you know, in in most things. But here it's like off the fucking charts. Yeah. And, when we were watching it uh, the other day, my uh, my roommate and I, it got to that scene in the library where, by the way, he's reading Charlie the Choo Choo, uh -huh. which yep. places this firmly in Dark Tower, tower territory uh, for anyone wondering if Lisey's story is connected. Um, we're watching that scene and my roommate Luke was like, this is this is like exactly like the how much did you ever lose in a bet scene? in no country for old men mm -hmm. and like the guy walks in and he's talking to like a much older person and you can sense that this older person is in a tremendous amount of danger you know and your stomach is just in knots watching it um yeah it's it's very similar to uh to that scene uh so that's one thing i wanted to note i love yeah. I, I really love dahan in that scene and uh, i don't know the actress's name that played the librarian but she fucking plays off of him really well and also the fact that every frame of this goddamn thing looks like a painting. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what they spent on this miniseries, but it could not have been cheap. This looks like a hundred million dollar production. Like, yeah. And not, um, not just the fantasy world shit. It's like you're watching the flashbacks with the dad and stuff. And, and it's kind of, uh, it reminded me a little bit of like Fincher cinematography from like the late nineties, like those just deep blacks, you know, seven well, style. Well, Darius Kanji shot this and he shot seven. Well, oh. that, there you go. Yeah. I had no idea. But yeah, Darius Kanji is like for anyone listening, he is a, a cinematography legend. He worked on like seven. Uh, he also did panic room. Yeah. Um, he did the funny, ga funny games with Michael Haneke. The, yep. the remake of that. Um, he's uh, unfortunately shot some Woody Allen movies, but uh, also lost city of Z. Mm -hmm. um uncut gems he shot fucking uncut gems like this yeah. guy is you know uh, a master and he brings it all to bear on this thing and yeah. and pablo lorraine the director is like i don't know if you've seen jackie or um oh, fuck what's the one with kristen stewart that just came out where she's princess die oh mm. right i know i know the movie yeah, yeah I don't remember the name that. the name is escaping me yeah. but this director is is one of my favorites and so you have a, a brilliant director, an amazing cinematographer, and then a cast that is absolutely fucking incredible. This is 
you know, I, I think maybe because it was a streaming series versus like a movie that you could go out and watch, maybe it will ultimately not rank on, you know, uh, some of the top 10 lists that we see. But this is, for my money, like easily a top 10 King adaptation and mm. probably top five. Yeah, for me too. I mean, like you said, it had that noir quality to it where everything was just kind of in the muted tones. And it did give you like a real sense of mood and melancholy. Um, I really enjoyed all the water symbolism because Mm -hmm. I felt that that was really key in the book too. Um, Scott Landon in the, in the Booyah moon um, can bring uh, people or himself or his brother, like back to this fantasy land that he can conjure and put them in the water and heal them. And then in the present time um, at the farmhouse where they live, Scott and Lisey, they have this pool and it just seemed like any time, you know, there was some kind of something that we were needing to pay attention to, or something was going to happen, something supernatural, um, that water would just come into play. Right. And it was really beautiful and almost kind of cathartic. Like, I don't know what headspace I was in at the time, but it was like exactly what I needed. And the fact that I don't know if they Apple TV still does this, but like you can't binge a series, which I really appreciated because Wait, I what? space, you know, like binge the whole thing. Yeah. What do you mean you can't? You like they released it when it was coming out like one episode at a time. Oh, I yeah. see. They did it weekly. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, so gotcha. there was like and they're yeah. doing Scott's that. like, the hell you can't. That's what I did. <laughs> well, I watched it when it came out. Um they <laughs> yes. th- they're doing that. Maybe right if now. Stephen King followed us on Twitter, then then we would <laughs> have watched it when it came out too. <laughs> um they're doing that right now with the changeling. And I think it's really important because um I hate the fact that you can't even get on social media when Netflix drops a series or something Mm -hmm. and and people can just watch the whole thing and they just talk about it as like a collective um, show and and say way too much about, you know, future episodes. Um, I like the community aspect of being able to watch one episode at a time. And the only spoilers you see is for like the episode that happened that night. Like, right. I really like that because I'm old and I remember when we used to have to schedule our night around a show. Right. You know, like, yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that we're all doing this at the same time. Like, that's what I like about episodic programming. The the binge model was like amazing at first, right? (laughs) Because you're like, you know, as a, as a consumer of whatever, thing you want to watch you're you're kind of gluttonous about it at first it's like oh shit i can watch all of it right now and that's really exciting and then that but that was 10 years ago right and now i'm like i'm for the exact reasons you just laid out i'm i'm 100 percent with you on this and yeah i think about like the summer um twin peaks the return was airing hmm. And that was like to this day, like that was like the last good summer I remember <laughs> was everyone or everyone I knew anyway was watching this thing. Mm. Uh, we had no fucking clue what it was doing or saying or like where it was going. And every week we would all tune in on Sunday nights or whenever it was and watch it and then argue about it. You know, like about what what is David Lynch doing? Um, That communal experience 
you never get that anymore. It's it's uh, it's rare. And so, yeah, that's very attractive to me that that they would have rolled it out that way. Yeah, I love I love that. And and that is just like a pro tip, too, for for the changeling um, the yeah, you definitely have to be watching that. What is Laval. the changeling? It's Victor Laval's. It's based on Victor Laval's book, The Changeling. Um, and it's also on Apple TV Plus. And it's a, like a dark fantasy, quite like Lisey's story, actually, where there's, mm-hmm. you know, um, very real tragedy and trauma going on in the present day. But it's it, there's another world going on underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this right one on. deals with like motherhood trauma. And, and marital issues as well. So if you're a fan of Lisey's story, the changeling is going to float your boat too. Nice. Yeah. I, I have a question for you guys. This is in regards to the family uh, aspect, the, the dad and the brother side of the story, right? Right. Uh, when I read the book, I very much interpreted the dad as being kind of off the deep end and that like just this kid had the ability, this magical ability, not that the dad was right and that they had to let the blood bool out and he, he would cut his, his sons to let the bad out and stuff yeah. like that. I think in the series, and maybe I, I, you know, that was a wrong interpretation from the get go, but I think in the series, they maybe toy a little bit more with the dad kind of being onto something. And it wasn't just fully mental illness because, because yeah. when the, the older brother, you know, has his snap, like he, they actually show him, they chain him up to a tractor and they actually show him becoming kind of a witch. He like, he becomes monstrous and to the point where he, it's not just, you know, uh, a, a poor kid that lost his mind and, you know, it just kind of deteriorating. He kind of looks like the storm of the century guy, you know, wizard <laughs> by the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but then, but then again, the, but the only thing that gives me pause there is they, they cut back to it after he is killed. The older brother's killed and he's just the boy again. Mm. And so what do you guys think? Do you guys think that, that, uh, that the father, that the booyah moon and the blood bulls and all that shit like is all kind of tied together. And it's not just the father being crazy. Or do you, do you think that, that uh, the booyah moon stuff is kind of wholly separate from what was going on with his brother and his father? Hmm. Hmm. Sadie. Gosh. So I think that Stephen King does this to us all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to make another list. (laughs) He's like the only author that I know that can effectively do two things at once. Um, mm-hmm. And I was reading that section again, this exact scene that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, also where he's trying to make the little boy like jump off the roof. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reading that in the book and it's really amazing how he can do this thing where it is, it's a story that Scott Landon is telling Lisey. It's Lisey's fucking memory of Scott telling her Mm. this story but it's also a present day narrative of not present day but like we are transported to the actual day of when this happened with these three the dad and his two sons as though it was happening right now so he's the only author that can do that effectively Mm -hmm. most of the time i just get pissed when authors are doing this shit where you're Uh like are we in the real time is this what it was actually mm-hmm. said so i think booyah moon 
and the mental illness and what's happening in the real life, but what is also maybe happening in fantasy, it's all just like happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, is it mental illness maybe in this life, but is it also happening like supernaturally behind the scenes? Yes. Like same with dark tower, same with the talisman, same with, Mm Mm -hmm. eyes of the dragon like fucking every fantasy that stephen king tells us every fairy tale has two layers going on all the time or three i agree and i i also think that we've had this conversation on the show before where you know uh eric and i have debated whether or not uh, uh, something that happens in a story is meant to be interpreted literally Mm. or figuratively Mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm having trouble remembering any examples of that but i know we've had that debate like two or three times and i always king king is a a genre writer typically speaking like if he's how do i put this um (laughs) i i interpret everything you know as he's written it I'm, i'm taking it all at face value um i think sometimes uh he's leaving things open for interpretation but i think for the most part if it's in there, it's not, it was all a dream or it was all in this character's head or whatever. Like it is, it is straight up what he puts on the page. That's, that's kind of my take on that. Well, but I agree with everything you just said. Well, cause it's interesting because, so there's the, the boys and the dad in that situation, but also the sister is having a mental lapse. Right. And it seems as though, you know, he and like she and Scott have this kind of relationship Um, And it's more evident, I think, in the series because it's so visual. But, like, he helps her um, deal with these, you know, lapses in her, her, you know, mental clarity by healing her with the same water that he gets from the Booyah Moon, which is the same wellspring in which he writes the stories. Um, And so is it just that she's more open to that because Lisey doesn't really get to take part in that whole situation until much, much later. And it's almost like if you believe it happens, you know what I mean? Like it's almost like you, if you don't believe it's not going to happen for you, or is it just like a place that he goes because we know that people who've had really bad childhoods can kind of block it out or go to another place. Is Mm -hmm. it that kind of situation I don't know. I, I want to be clear is I think that it's very evident Booyah Moon's a real place here. There's real consequences, mm-hmm. you know, that she ends up getting rid of her stalker slash attacker. Right, right. You know, there, you know, I, I think that it's very clear Booyah Moon is real. What I'm not so sure about is the whole blood bulls and and uh I'm I'm cutting you because I love you, you know. That yeah, um, that's not mm-hmm. real. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't honestly know. Um, I, I interpreted it as madness plus he, he's onto something. That was my interpretation. Mm. You know, he's clearly, you know, he's played by Michael Pitt in the series. Scott Landon's dad. He's clearly unhinged and dangerous and, and all those other things. But I, I do think that I think he's onto something and, um, but I also think he's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think with Eric, like it wasn't as clear in the book. If- yeah. See, I can't speak to that as, as much. I haven't read the book in a, in a very long time. I, I only revisited the uh, adaptation for this. I 
this I think it episode just came together pretty quickly. I didn't have time to reread the mm. book, but oh yeah, no, totally. Like, yeah, um, it's a big book. So, well, tell me more about the book. Tell me more about the well, like. How is it? How is it less um, certain in the book? I mean, I just th- so I think for for the sake of like screen time and with the amount of time you get with a TV audience versus how much investment a reader puts into a story in a book, like he can do different things um, on screen than he would do, you know, in this book. And I think in the book, there's a much longer time and there's more breadcrumbs. Like he draws that part of it out for so long. Like you don't really know exactly what happened on that day between, you know, like how the, the older brother lost his life for such a long time. Like you just get the blood pool breadcrumbs for like a significant part of the book. And then in the show, it's almost kind of all taken care of in one episode. So like he does mention it quite a few times and you're kind of it building up to finally knowing what happens. Um, and I think in the book, it's just more clear that like he had a horrible childhood and he's mentally fragile and broken because of what his dad did to the two of them. And it's just abuse. Like I felt like it was just abuse. It Mm kind of made me feel like um, in it where are we going to blame this supernatural entity or like this town for how fucked up all the adults are to their kids? Like what's happening with, you know, the abuse going on in all of these homes or is it because adults are just fucked up to kids? You know, like I wouldn't want to like be dismissive of what happened to the, to the children in the hands of this guy who thought he was really exercising some kind of evil from his children. I think he was just abusive. That's how I, that's how the book kind of made me feel. Yeah, I agree. And but you know, I, I I do think that the that the miniseries takes it is it moves it slightly closer to where uh Wampler is coming from and right. how he views it. Yeah. Uh and and it's not even just the um the you know, the the older brother turning into the the hag, you know, the, he he's almost dead-eyed ish, you know, by the uh he looks like a deadite, you know, by the mm-hmm. by the end of it. Um uh but it's like little things whenever he's like taking his his hurt brother you know, to Booyah Moon and his, you know, the what his dad sees the water. You know what I mean? I don't know. There's just little things like that where they're 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 merging a little bit more of the fantastical stuff that like we know is real versus you know into that territory where like no, this is just mental illness and abuse. You know what I mean? Like it feels like they're visually marrying those two things together in a way that obviously mm-hmm. couldn't in the book. Yeah, so definitely. so um. Yeah, no, but that's something that jumped out to me on this, you know, actually finally getting to finish this. And uh, I got to say thanks for picking the title because yeah, Scott, and I, Scott and I both <laughs> both had a moment in no shit. Like I, we were synced up somehow again where we were like texting before before this. And it was just like, uh, by the way, like I, I've been watching Lisey's story. Like I, I re- went back to it and this is fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, yeah, isn't it? Like I'm on episode five and I was like, same time I'm on episode five. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, no, it, it, this would have been one that we probably would have kept putting off just because, you know, you know, at least, in, you know, in my mind, it was it, it just kind of represented kind of a bummer thing. And I didn't want to re-experience a live action version of 
of the assault I knew was coming, you know, mm. uh, but I'm glad I did because the, uh, especially the back half of this, this, uh, mini series is, is gold. And the, uh, I think we remember we were talking about long boy before I derailed our, our, uh, stuff earlier, but I just love how that thing looks. And, oh, it's so cool. And, <laughs> and, so it, cool. and it reminds me a little bit, uh, Scott, cause we always keep talking about in the Hills, the cities. I, I fucking yes. knew you were going to bring that yeah, up. And, and, uh, so that's kind of what I had in my mind whenever you bring up that Clive Barker short story. And then I'm watching it going, man, you know, if Scott got, got to the long boy, he's going to be doing, uh, backflips for joy, you know? Yeah. I had the exact same thought. It's, yeah. it's smaller than I think the, the ambulant cities in <laughs> right. in the hills the cities uh are but yeah yeah it, it should look like that more or yeah. less giant just made up of tens of thousands of, of bodies yeah. yeah screaming tortured people <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's a great effect and lorraine doesn't uh pablo lorraine the director doesn't really work with fantasy a lot this is the guy you know i was saying he did um jackie and the young pope for uh yeah. for hbo you know there's he's he's not really known for working in the fantastical and he really pulls that shit off here to a degree where i'm like i want to see this guy doing more genre stuff you yeah. know yeah and he embraces it like the it gets gnarly it gets mm-hmm. so gnarly what what ultimately ends up happening to uh dooley mm-hmm. is it, i mean <laughs> it's that like, motherfucker up yeah he, it, it it's brutal his death but then the remains that's just floating in her fucking pool <laughs> holy yeah. shit i was like watching that going that's like that's like you like top tier like gore fest kind of kind of yeah you know, stuff it's it, it's it's ridiculous and whoever was doing the effects did a uh the practical effects did a bang up job because it really did look like they just dismembered uh, dane Don for that but then again i haven't seen him in much after so i was gonna say have you seen him since i have not so may- maybe uh you know he's very method rest dane in peace Don. gentle angel <laughs> is there anything um in relation to lisey's story that we haven't touched on yet that that yeah. you you think we should we should discuss before we wrap up here, Sadie. Um, no, not really. I mean, I did just want to say that um, one thing that impressed upon me through reading all of, you know, Stephen King's books is like, you know, and people have mentioned it before, like he just doesn't do sex a lot. He doesn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, it's horror without a lot of um, sex and romance love story. Um, but this particular book is his love story. Um, and I think it's really profound and I think it's maybe the reason why it's always in my top 10 and why Mm -hmm. I recommend it to everyone is it's saying a lot of really important kind of like big picture epic messages. Um, it kind of has this thread running through it that I think we find in the dark tower and other, fantasy um horror crossovers for him which is like love is worth it and it's not just what lisey's going through to protect um kind of her sanctity of marriage and grieving the loss of her partner which is just really heavy um but it's also like the love between family and showing up for your loved ones when there's really hard times like the sickness and in health thing is right we all go through these you know tragedies in our families 
mental health crisis, health, you know, any kind of like physical health crisis, and just the amount of sacrifice and effort that sometimes has to go into are really important relationships. I think this book magnifies it so clearly for us. Like, there were mm-hmm. so many times where I would just think about my own marriage. I would think about my kids and what I would do for them, my sisters, my parents. Like, it. There's also like um, Scott Landon talks about being a writer and just sharing um, books as little lights in the darkness mm. um, and how all of Stephen King's works for me throughout my entire life have been that for me. Like I was kind of like a weird nerdy kid and I would read his books and they were like a light in the darkness sometimes where I could just kind of sneak away to a booyah moon and just be somewhere else. And so people who bag on Lisey's story, like (laughs) I judge you. Um, (laughs) It's, it's one of the most intensely intimate books and experiences I've had reading. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is super intimate, mm-hmm. you know, and I, th- I think it's designed from the ground up to be that way. This book made me uncomfortable the first time I read it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like it kind of like what you were saying earlier with the secret language stuff. There was just, there was an element to it that felt like, I don't know if like uh, overhearing a private conversation between people or, you know, witnessing, you know, something, somebody showing you pictures on their phone, they scan one too many over and they, (laughs) there's a picture there you're not supposed to see. And it was like, (laughs) Oh fuck. Um, (laughs) Let's both pretend I didn't see that. You know, like there was that sort of feeling to it. But I also read this when I was in my mid twenties, you know, um, and I don't think I don't think I had the context for mm. for what this story is, right. is doing, what King's trying to pull off here. And now with the, the benefit of, you know, age and experience and, you know, a marriage, it's like, OK, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this is great. I mean, there's there's a, it's definitely if you're looking to King for, you know, fun, killer dog, haunted car, you know, those kind of things. This is this is one you have to work up to. For sure. This is, you know, you know, and for me, I had a little bit of a barrier with the the baby talk language, you know, was it something I found hard to take serious on the page, which which ultimately, as we've discussed, it kind of becomes the identity of the story. And now mm-hmm. you couldn't tell this without it. It's kind of the whole goddamn point of it uh but i think that maybe what i would recommend to people who maybe bounced off of the book or didn't stop reading it or doesn't want to give it a chance is is to like point them to this apple plus series and go you see it live action it's a little bit different you know it's not as you know for whatever reason the the language didn't bother me as much you know when you actually see it in you know this beautiful context of what booyah moon looks like so uh you know maybe i'd recommend that right on well, uh, Sadie, t- this is usually the point in the show where we allow our guests to tell people where where to find them, what they're working on, um, you know, any anything you want to draw attention to. This is self-promo corner. You got the floor. What's up? <laughs> okay, so in August, I did release a book called 101 Horror Books to Read Before You're Murdered. Um, <laughs> Great and- title. Thank you. 
And while I don't have any Stephen King recommendations in the book, um, there's a very good reason for that. The book is actually dedicated to him. Um, I credit King as being the blueprint of horror in my introduction. Um, But I just wanted to give space to um, other modern horror authors uh, to have kind of a spotlight moment in a book about modern horror. It, it really only spans, you know, 20 plus years. It's like, you know, 2000 to 2023 to like right now Um, books that I feel will catch you up to what's going on in modern horror right now. So Mm. you could kind of go through the list. There is a checklist in the back as well. I talk about each book in detail I also cross-reference each one by like genre, subgenre, maybe other like little, you know, tropes and themes that people enjoy. So if the haunted house book also has psychological elements or thriller elements or maybe like a locked room um, vibe, mm-hmm. I also cross-reference all of the titles with those um, things that people look for. So it's really just kind of a guide to get you caught up so that you can keep up with everything that's coming out um, in our like current genre situation, which is like every Tuesday we get like 20 new horror books. Um, So (laughs) we're having this moment and these are the books I think would, would catch you up to speed. I spotlight like 10 authors um, also in there. Right on. Um, is uh, is our our buddy Stephen Graham Jones? Does he make the cut? He does. He's a spotlight author. He yeah. He's currently one of my favorites. Love yeah. that madman. Same, same Me too. too. Me too. And I have a T-shirt that says, um, "I'd rather be reading Stephen Graham Jones," and I wear it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard him on the show, but he uh, that man has more encounters with dangerous insects and animals than any uh, like <laughs> the fucking crocodile hunter. It's bizarre. I know. I know he's constantly putting like these little snakes and stuff he sees when he's mountain biking. And I'm like, I'm glad I don't live your life. Like, (laughs) dude, the last time he was on, he told a story about like, he was driving down the highway with his kids in the car and saw a snake or something, a dead snake in the road. And like opened the door and picked it up as he was driving by. And we're like, we're going to hook you up to a fucking lie detector test. (laughs) Because because some of these stories are starting to sound like bullshit. No. He's like, I my kids wanted to see it. Yeah. yeah he's wild. Um, yeah, the kids wanted to. Okay, Stephen. <laughs> it was the it. kid's fault. Yeah. yeah. Love him, though. Uh, always, always a pleasure to talk to him. And his fucking, he is, that guy's just on fire right now with the writing. It's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I also co-own a monthly horror subscription service called Nightworms. Um, Ashley and I started it almost five years ago. Uh, so the end of this year, we'll be celebrating five years of being in business, basically sending modern horror to, um, you know, all of our subscribers every month. So we curate a package, uh, with two, maybe even three, uh, horror books in it. So we really focus on the books much less on like, you know, the merchandise or whatever that people are accustomed to getting in those uh, book club packages. Uh, So yeah, so um, sign book plates very often and maybe a little bit of goodies, like some stickers that go along with it or like stickers you would actually want to put on your water bottle or something too. Um, And like a beverage, like tea or coffee, um, hot cocoa. 
Uh, and yeah, so we we're celebrating five years of of hooking our readers up with horror. And, oh, that's awesome! Do you yeah, do guests or do you like gift subscriptions? We do, yeah. Uh huh. People can gift subscriptions to people. I know exactly who I am buying a subscription <laughs> for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Scott, I'm right here. You just ruined the surprise. <laughs> you don't get any gifts, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, give the gift of horror, everyone. Yes. Yes, indeed. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was this was a delight. I'm I'm glad that we finally got to get Lisey's story into the main feed, and that Vespi and I finally got the kick in the pants we needed to go back and and finish this thing after we were mm-hmm. very wrong. The first, I don't think we were wrong. I think we just weren't ready. That's yeah, how I'm headspace. Put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, this this was a delight, and you know, you're you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. Like this, this is definitely bucket list goals. Like I, I'm <laughs> wanting to talk to you guys too. Well, well, thank you Perfect. so much for saying so. The, the pleasure is all ours. Many thanks to Sadie Hartman for joining us and finally, finally, finally bringing Lisey's story into the main feed. Took uh, way too long for, for that to happen. Um, I think maybe the size of the not the size of the novel necessarily, but the size of the series at least uh, kept people away. Yeah. You know, it's an eight hour commitment, but uh, Sadie had no such fear. And also it got us to go back and, you know, finish what we started with Lisey's story. And I'm, I'm very glad that we did because man, yeah. I had a hell of a time watching that. Yeah. We kind of came out, <laughs> out of the other end of that going, Hey, okay. So we're kind of dumb. We should have actually kept with it. I, you know, I still think we were, I think neither one of us were receptive to it when we tried it. And it, it has very little to do with the show and everything to do with, uh, you know, maybe where our brains were at in the mm-hmm. middle of uh, quarantine. You know? Yeah. Maybe yeah. we're not in the mood for a, a dark, moody story at that point. Yeah, I'm totally going to blame that and not my laziness. I, I love that. Let's let's keep doing that. I, no, that's absolutely it for me. I, <laughs> I was just kind of bummed out by it, you know? Yeah. I, well, that's true. Yeah. It is. So. It's, it's a... It's a sad story, but it's also an uplifting story. And once you kind of turn yourself over to it, it becomes uh, you. It becomes clear why King is so fond of this one himself. And, uh, um, you know, and I'm I think uh, Sadie knocked it out of the park. I'm really, really happy that she came on. And and um, and yeah, I hope she comes back again. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose we should tell them about next week's episode. It's a big one. Oh, boy. Uh, Boy, howdy, is it ever. All right. So you might have noticed on your little podcatcher of choice that uh, this is episode 199. And for our 200th episode next week in the main feed, well, we're doing a big anniversary episode. You, You may have remembered our previous anniversary episodes that we've done where we bring in a ridiculous amount of guests to talk about a short story collection. We've done Night Shift, we've done Skeleton Crew, and like the absolute most insane, foolish madmen that we are, we decided, you know what? Those books were too small, and there were too <laughs> few stories in there. So how about we attempt to do Nightmares and Dreamscapes for our 200th episode, which has, let me tell you, I'm going to lean into the mic here, it has 24 stories, which means we have 24 returning guests coming back next week to do our big crazy anniversary episode all about mm-hmm. nightmares and dreamscapes it is uh in my humble estimation the best lineup that we have put together for one of these anniversary shows um 
we don't we're gonna announce we're not gonna announce any of the guests yet we're gonna we're gonna do that on monday with a where we'll we'll roll out that red carpet and we'll also be talking uh, about the theme of this one you'll remember that our previous anniversary episodes were were themed and this one is no different um this this has been such a goddamn project we've been working on this for weeks months months. Uh, yeah yeah even even um as we speak, we have not completed it, <laughs> and it, it is. And it I is, gotta confess, this is giving me a whole lot of fucking anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Announcing it now, now that uh, we have, we're in the the home stretch on the recordings, and then there's still all the editing and all the other stuff to go go down. And uh, suddenly, this has become very real. So, uh, yes. so I, I'm gonna need to take some volume and get this thing done and ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it's it's. It's a wild swing. I uh, we have no idea if it works or not, but we do know that uh, we have some amazing, amazing guests and some of your mm-hmm. favorite Kingcast guests from the all past your faves are coming and, in. Uh, so, yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, probably going to be the longest episode we've ever had. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> gigantic. Um, so set your set a little reminder to yourselves to tune in next Wednesday for the Kingcast big 200th episode. And then uh, what do we have on the, on the Patreon this Friday, Eric, this Friday on our Patreon, we are continuing our regular, one of the few regular series we actually have over there. Uh, and that is mm-hmm. the King, King by decade. So we have started in the 1970s with, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Lewis Peitzman. He has joined us. One of the other very few people that we could invite to do this that is has the knowledge and has read almost everything. So we've done the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now we are into the aughts, which, you know, ha- swings from on writing to Dreamcatcher and, you know, all, all the adaptations that happen in this decade. We're talking 1408. So essentially what we do in these, if you've never listened to them before, is we're going year by year through this decade and we kind of discuss what Stephen King adaptations happened, what Stephen King books were published. Uh, and then we kind of pull a winner. Like what is the winner year? What, what is the best year for King? What is the worst year for King? That kind of thing. Um, we've done that seventies through the nineties and now we're in the aughts. And that is what is going to be up on our Patreon this Friday. Uh, if you want to listen to that, you just head on over to patreon.com slash the King cast and sign up and uh, you're going to want to do that. And you're going to want to do that in our gunslinger tier uh, because uh, next week's bonus episode will be the return of Shelbyville. So Shelbyville season two, that's our Stephen King themed RPG that we do with Mallory O'Mara and Jacob Hall. Uh, and I think it's safe to say that uh, uh, if you were a fan of the first season of Shelbyville, uh, we anticipate you are going to do at least 17 backflips and uh, jumpings for joy by the time uh, mm-hmm. season two wraps up in your ear holes. Uh, it is at this moment, 13 episodes in season two. And uh, if you thought things got wild in the first season, you you ain't got no idea. So it's absolutely uh, insane. There's multiple guest stars uh all kinds of horror influences on this season you're mm-hmm. gonna get a lot of stephen king stuff but you're also gonna see some some bleed in from uh other horror properties that uh we're all fans of and uh well it's hard to talk about now because we can't spoil anything you know for the longest time the conversation around this is when is it coming back well it's here uh or it will be here next friday um but now we got to go back to not talking about it <laughs> until, yes. until you start hearing it because it takes a lot of a lot of twists and turns over the course of what it's 13 episodes, hour and a half, 13. 13. It's over 20 hours worth of 
of uh, <laughs> listening material that yep. you're going to get on this season. So um, if you've been holding off on joining the Patreon, now is the perfect time to do it because you're going to get that guaranteed every month for for quite a while. A lot of material. So enjoy. Yep. And if you've never listened to Shelbyville but was always curious, uh, now's the time to do it. Just go ahead and sign up now. You have a week to catch up. There's, mm-hmm. there's Shelbyville stuff that you can't get anywhere else. So sign up now. You got a backlog of that. There's also exclusive interviews, commentaries, uh, and you get a brand new bonus episode every Friday. So we make it worth it. Patreon.com slash the KingCast. Come sign up. Throw some bucks and you'll uh, you'll get so many more hours of KingCast enjoyment for your ear holes. All right, folks. We'll see you next week. Adios. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Andley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 